Welcome to the Crowdmakers, inside the C-suite of sports and entertainment, the definitive podcast on the inner workings of the business side of professional sports, concerts, and live events. These are the people that are shaping the new landscape of the industry, the executives that are creating the new paradigm for live entertainment. These are the inside conversations you won't hear anywhere else. These are the Crowdmakers. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the digital training network that uses micro-learning and spaced repetition to form new habits of success in sales, service, leadership, and more. Created by sports and entertainment industry experts for the industry. Learn more at ISBI360.com. And now, here's your host for the Crowdmakers, Bill Gertine. Welcome to the Crowdmakers once again. I'm Bill Gertine, and with me today is a very special guest. He's Jim Van Stone. He's president of business operations and chief commercial officer of Monumental Sports and Entertainment. And that includes several different brands, including the Washington Capitals of the NHL, the Washington Wizards of the NBA, the Mystics of the WNBA, the Capital City Go-Go, the NBA G League team. In, in addition to that, he runs the Wizards District Gaming, the NBA 2K program, the Caps Gaming program under the NHL Esports. They also sell Georgetown University men's basketball and Verizon Center events. And in between time, he sleeps a few hours a day. Jim, welcome to the Crowdmakers. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate you having me today. And uh, I, I should be thanking you. I mean, you've done so much work over the years in terms of training and getting people in, in revenue-focused areas and revenue development uh, for teams on the local level. So I should be thanking you for having me as your guest today and uh, all the great work that you do in the community and our, our industry. Well, that's very kind. I appreciate that. We've both been through quite a bit this past year. Uh, as, as we began to shut down, what have you been doing to better yourself in the pandemic when you've been home a little bit? If you have, is there a, a habit you've started, something you started reading or doing? What have you been doing to keep yourself busy? Well, it's a good question. Uh, you know, I, hopefully I'm a lot more attentive to my family because I'm spending a lot more time at the house than I probably do during the normal cycle of what we do on a day in and day out basis. But, you know, one of the things I, I've tried to do is really see if I, I could gather an hour to an hour and a half a day and, and do some, you know, physical activity. So I, I bought a Trek uh, bike uh, back at the beginning of the pandemic and I ride about 20 miles a day and allows me to uh, clear my mind and you know, put me in a much better space because all we're doing all single day long is, is these Zoom calls. And, you know, what well, you get a little fatigue on that end and, you know, to get a mental break for about an hour and a half uh, really does me well. So that's been a, a big focus of mine. Cool. Most everyone can remember the day and the moment where they were when they found out that the pandemic was going to shut things down. Obviously, it was a very important moment and realization for you. Take us through where you were at that moment in March. What was the situation for you? Oh, I know exactly where I was. I was in our executive conference room, and it was my, myself, Dave Tui, who's our president of venues, uh, Monica Dixon, who heads up our external affairs and government relations. Peter Bechet, uh was around the table, who is our, our CFO. And uh, also joining was Abby Blomstrom, who's our general counsel, and Kelly Scalota, uh, who's our head of people and culture and uh, you know, I, I think we we're a little overwhelmed and, you know, it seemed like uh, a, a meeting that was supposed to be 30 minutes ended up lasting about six and a half hours. And, you know, things were changing uh, on a daily basis. And I think with having multiple teams, you know, during that time of the year, you know, we're a building that has 30 events in 30 days at Capital One Arena. So, you know, we had uh, 
uh, a game scheduled for the Capitals the very next day. So we found out that 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 evening that the NBA had had started the hiatus, you know, based on the pandemic. And, you know, we were still a little bit uncertain. So we left that night uh, not knowing if we were going to end up having a Capitals game the next day. And then, you know, the early part of the next day we did find out. So uh, a lot of discussions, you know, I, I think a lot of, you know, hey, we will probably be shut down for the next three to four weeks and, and then we'll be back at it again. And, you know, next thing you know, we're nine months into this thing. So, uh, but we we really collectively worked as a group and, you know, we figured out the best strategies that we could do, A, to communicate to our employees first off. Uh, and, and then the second part was how we would really, you know, address our, our, our stakeholders, our, our clients, sponsors, everything from that standpoint. And we worked very collectively with the, uh, the mayor's office in, in D.C. And, and got some really great feedback from them. Really became a communication job, didn't it, as things really began to unfold? Yeah, I, I would say a communications job and, and certainly a people management job. I mean, you know, making sure that everyone had, you know, the proper resources to be able to kind of function you know, with not being able to come into the office, making sure that our clients were, you know, really well aware of everything that was happening. I think we tried to be, you know, a- as aggressive as we could in terms of making sure that we were getting our messaging out there. But, you know, I think the safety and health uh, of everyone was first and foremost our, our key objective in making sure that we were doing things the right way. So yeah. I think we I think we did a good job, you know, uh, knock on wood. Hopefully we never have to go through something like this again once we get through this process. But you know, I, I think, uh, you know, what it said was the, the power of people and working together and, and how critical relationships are. I think we really uh, had very uh, limited in, internal challenges. I mean, we, we all kind of were working together in, in, in terms of addressing the situation. There were so many decisions that needed to be made right away without a lot of history as to what you had to do in this case. Was there an example perhaps of a mistake you made early on that looking back, you'd said, yeah, we probably could have done that a little better. And, and what did you learn from it? Yeah. You know, I, I think the biggest thing, uh, you know, when, when I look at it and it's funny, I think when you take a look at an executive leadership team, everyone has kind of different roles and responsibilities, you know, uh, on my end from, uh, you know, the revenue, the marketing and, and the business operations standpoint, I, I probably was a little bit more optimistic that we were going to get back up and running quicker than, than, than probably what was really realistic, you know, from that standpoint. So I, I think just managing expectations is, is probably the one thing that, you know, I, I've learned that, you know, we, we probably just need to make sure that we do that a little bit clearer and a little bit more of a, a long runway. You know, I, I think, you know, we all thought we were going to be able to get back to, to normal, you know, over the next month or a month and a half, you know, from that standpoint. So I, I think just managing the, the team's expectations and, you know, I have a, a variety of different revenue departments. So, you know, making sure that they were, were clear in terms of where we stood. I mean, you know, our, our ticketing, you know, market is a little bit different than our corporate partnership and sponsorship market. And, you know, certainly our, our suite holders, you know, have, have a different approach in terms of their relationship with us. So I think just really managing expectations as, as we move forward is, is something I'll probably uh, gain from going through this experience and, and hopefully do better in the future. Well, as we spin out of 2020 and into 21, the, this hasn't started any easier for you with the many of the leagues that are here, your G League team, the Go-Go's, you've started without fans. And as of our interview today, the Wizards and the Mystics and Capitals will start the season without fans for at least the near future. What will the fan experience be like that's different once they are able to come back? What are you talking about in the boardroom now and making their experience a different one? 
Yeah, I, I think uh, first and foremost, safety and security is, is critical for us. So making sure that you know people know when when they leave their home and they're coming into the arena that they have a really safe environment that they're going into. So you know we're putting a lot of conversation from that standpoint uh, in, in place right now. Uh, I, I think looking at all of our different ancillary services are, are critical and important because I think sometimes you know beyond just watching the game, I mean. What is my culinary experience going to be? What is my retail experience going to be? What is my content experience going to be? So, you know, looking at a variety of those other, you know, platforms and, and, and businesses that, that we run and operate, I, I think it's a part of that overall uh, evaluation process that we're really talking about. And, you know, I do think technology is going to play a, a big role in, in terms of getting people back into arenas you know, from a comfort standpoint. So, I mean, we're talking to a variety of different technology vendors, you know, on new applications that we can use to really enhance the experience overall uh, for our consumers. So, you know, uh, I'm hopeful that there is, uh, you know, an understanding as we kind of move forward that it may be a little bit of a different, you know, rollout and experience. But I think before too long, I think, you know, we can make, get back on all cylinders and, you know, have buildings full and at capacity. But I think, you know, looking at new new solutions to make that experience a lot more seamless and a lot easier, I, I think it's going to be an important part. There's been a big discussion about liability when fans come back in and what liability they would have if someone were to contract COVID within the building or somehow trace it to that. Have you discussed a COVID-19 waiver for fans when they return? And if so, where is that conversation today? You know, uh, I, I think we're all looking at a lot of different things. I, I think when it comes to that process, you know, being part of really big platforms in the NBA and NHL, we got a lot of great guidance and direction. And, you know, the leagues have been very, very supportive in terms of, you know, providing a, a laundry list of services that we all can, you know, become a part of. And one of the, the, the unique things out there, I think, is uh, the Clear Health Pass is, you know, a platform that, that teams are talking about. And, and many of us know Clear from using it at the airport. So I think looking at a variety of different systems that you can put in place to uh, make sure that, you know, we're, we're safe and, you know, we're compliant, I, I think is going to be important. So, you know, getting that direction from the NBA and NHL has been, you know, very, very helpful. They've had both on the return to arena process for getting fans back into the building, but also really into the return to business process and making sure that our employees that are coming in to serve the customers that we have you know, are, are as prepared and ready as they can be. So I, I think, you know, getting that direction and guidance from the NBA and NHL has been very helpful. And you have both to guide from. So that's a real unique thing that you have going for you within the company itself. There are very few organizations that have those organizations to, to draw from both the NBA and the NHL resources. Uh, I think we're, we're very fortunate in that process. I mean, I think, you know, uh, as an organization, it, it provides really a, a big platform for us and big scale you know, from a, from a, a promotional standpoint. But I think when you're also looking at best practices, having both leagues, you know, there's some really, really smart people are involved in, in, in both businesses. And, and we got a lot of great feedback from the leagues and also, you know, our counterparts at other, other teams. So I, I think, you know, it's enabled us to be ahead of the ballgame, I think, in, in, in a variety of different, you know, fan engagement opportunities, I think business related uh, opportunities. And, you know, hey, we're all trying to create Hall of Fame moments every time a, a, a fan comes into our arena. So, you know, being able to to get the uh, the best of the best from both the NBA and NHL is a, a really big opportunity. Yeah. One thing very soon that people in your arenas all over will be able to experience is placing a bet at the game itself. How soon will fans be able to do that in your building? And what will that mean for Monumental financially going forward? 
So uh, we announced uh, probably about a year and a half ago a, uh, a strategic partnership with, with William Hill. And William Hill is actually creating right now, they're in construction at the arena of uh, about a 30,000 square foot bricks and mortar sports book that's going to be connected to the arena. Uh, within that platform, uh, which is a game changer, they also own a two block radius around uh, Capital One Arena where they're the exclusive mobile uh, provider to be able to play sports bets. Uh, so for us, when we get fans back in the building, our bricks and mortar sports book will be open. It'll be a new destination spot, you know, in the neighborhood. And then, you know, our fans are coming in and experiencing, uh, you know, a basketball game or a hockey game is going to be able to play place their, their most favorite bet uh, right on the William Hill app. So we're going to be moving forward very, very quickly. You know, being part of the NBA and NHL, we don't share in any of the uh, sports betting uh you know, revenues or anything from that standpoint, our, our alignment with William Hill is really, uh, they're a strategic partner. They own and operate basically the sports book for us, you know, at the arena, they're a big tenant of ours. And, you know, we certainly have a, a, a partnership with them, uh, a media rights deal and a couple of other, you know, pieces of content and programming. But uh, for us, you know, we think sports betting is a fantastic fan engagement opportunity. Uh, we think it's really something that's going to, you know, make our location here with the, the bricks and mortar sports book being open 365 days a year. It's going to enhance Capital One Arena as really the most premier uh, entertainment destination in the greater Washington region. So we're really bullish on the opportunity and, you know, think that, uh, you know, people so far and looking at the early results, we, we opened up a temporary sports book uh, in, in the beginning of August and, uh, the amount of bets that we're seeing and the amount of engagement, even in a temporary location where people are just coming in, placing a bet and leaving from a retail standpoint has been absolutely phenomenal. So, you know, we, we think sports betting is uh, a big landscape uh, for the future of our industry. With that much square footage for a sports book and that much real yeah. estate that William Hill has, do you think a casino is far behind? Wow. Uh, you know, I mean, we have these beautiful buildings and, and, and these buildings around the country are our billion dollar properties. And it's really interesting. We, we traditionally in the events business, we open them up an hour before an event begins and we close them one hour after an event ends and they're operational for maybe four to five hours a day. We have 19 hours plus or, or 20 hours a day where the buildings are vacant. So why don't we look at opportunities to really make them uh, more vibrant, getting them more operational uh, you know, most of the bigger buildings like us, you know, being a, a very busy building, we do about 200 to 240 events a year. You know, that's 100 dark days a year. So if we can really make these, you know, destination opportunities, whether it's a sports book or even related gaming opportunities, I, I think it's just a, a, a fabulous extension of, of these beautiful properties. I mean, you know, you go into every building around the country and you do a lot of training in a lot of these arenas. I mean, talk about an immersive fan experience. You go in, you see these beautiful Jumbotron scoreboards, you see all this brand new LED opportunities. It really is a, a hyper, uh, you know, engaged opportunity, I think. And, you know, the more we can make these buildings open, I, I think on a full year round basis, the better it will be. And hopefully either sports betting or even gaming down the line, you know, on, on more casino stuff really uh, opens up a unique opportunity. Boy, we never thought we'd be here back when you were in school, getting your BA in communications from William <laughs> Patterson University and your master's in sports and rec education at Temple. And I want to ask you about that. Right out of undergrad, you jumped into sports as director of ticket sales for the Philadelphia 76ers. And that was back in <clears throat> 1992. 
what was your initial goal after you got your degree and, and what was the appeal to you to jump into ticket sales? Because it appeared as though you were uh, kind of on a track to be an educator. Yeah, uh, great, great question. I, I will say I, I was very fortunate. Uh, I, I started my career uh, at, at the 76ers and we had a, a fabulous team on, on the ticket sales side. Uh, the group was led by Scott Loft, who's been with the Oklahoma City Thunder for a long time. You know, very well connected in our industry. Ron Skitarzak, who runs uh, sponsorships at MSG, was part of our team. Uh, we also had uh, Steve Smith, who's been in the industry for a long time. Ron Dick, who's now a professor at Duquesne University. So I really was very fortunate. I went into the ticket sales area. I, I did an internship. I didn't think I was actually going to, you know, have a career in, in the revenue and ticketing side. But, you know, I worked with such great people. It was a, a, a fantastic experience. And, you know, uh, I, I think it really kind of laid a great foundation for me to, you know, be able to continue this career. I mean, I, I think, you know, the unique thing about ticket sales is I think you do every aspect of the way we operate a business. I mean, you're doing sales, you're doing customer service, you're doing marketing, you know, you're doing promotions, you're certainly doing community uh, relations. I mean, it just really is uh, an all-encompassing experience when you start your career in ticket sales. And, you know, I think I just got the hook from there. And, you know, I, I think a lot of folks, a lot of us, you know, played sports growing up and that competitive side of, of closing deals, you know, uh, that never ends if you're competitive. So whether it was being an athlete growing up or getting into, you know, kind of a, a sales role and stuff like that, it was just something that, you know, I, I found very exhilarating and a, a great opportunity. And I love the team atmosphere and the team environment. And, you know, I, I think, uh, it was probably a much more natural fit for me to focus on on, on ticketing and, and the revenue areas than it may have been getting into communications or something else from that standpoint. So, you know, I've been hooked ever since. And, you know, the one thing I will say when, when I started, you know, I mean, you know, we, we had one computer in the entire department that we shared. <laughs> we all had our, our, our Rolodexes, our shoeboxes, and we were making calls, you know, uh, in the one to 30 or one to 31 kind of, you know, ratio when we're scheduled to call people back and, you know, to see the business boom and the technology piece of it and how important and critical it is now. I mean, you know, I, I think I've seen uh, a lot over the years and I think our business is going in a really, really great direction. And, and the thing I'm excited about in the future is that, you know, younger professionals, you know, to start their careers are going to be so much more tech savvy and tech focused than what we were you know, in, in those nineties, but, uh, you know, great opportunity and great experience for me. Well, let's jump ahead to 2018. The Capitals win their first ever Stanley cup had to have been an extraordinary feeling for you to finally experience a championship in sports. What was that like for you? And how did your staff then go to work to maximizing that success in the sales department the following year? How did you look at that as an opportunity and, and what did you do differently then in that following year to try to capitalize revenue wise? Uh, so, uh, really good question. And I think if, uh, a lot of us have been in this business a long time and if life was fair, we we'd win a, a championship at least once every 30 years. So I, I guess that was my first opportunity to do it, you know, with the caps and, you know, I, I think the most incredible thing, uh, to see is really the way the marketplace responded. I mean, uh, the amount of engagement that we had with, with people, uh, the interest in the fans. I mean, we had literally 50,000 people outside of our arena. Uh, where we did uh, a broadcast when the team was on the road and we actually clinched the cup in, in Vegas and to see the images of that and, and the experience. I mean, from a business standpoint, we were set up, you know, to to really, really do well. So, I mean, and we had been fortunate. I mean, our hockey business, 
has been strong for for several years. I mean, we're you know ten plus years of consecutive sellouts. So the the interest level on the ticketing side was always there. I think it expanded. Uh, certainly, some other ancillary businesses for us. Our our partnership business grew dramatically. You know, from from that opportunity, our retail business skyrocketed. Uh, we had always traditionally done well, but I thought that brought it to a, a really peak peak level. And I think it really set us up for uh, some unique opportunities. And, and, you know, one of the things which is fortunate in today's day and age, I think, you know, on, on the ticketing piece is that, you know, we're all very sophisticated with dynamic pricing and dynamic ticketing. Certainly that following year, some of our individual game tickets, we were able to really increase from a revenue standpoint and create some new premiums, you know, on those things that, that, that led to some additional revenues. But, uh, you know, I, I think the easy part is, you know, for me, at least being in this business a long time, when you're at the peak and, 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 and the top of the pinnacle, that process is easy. When your team is on a rebuild process and you're challenged, you know, that is when I think the, 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 the true dynamic of, of how you're running your business really, you know, has the ability to shine and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, fortunately for us, I think we've been in a good situation. Winning championships are great, but we've also had, you know, some rebuild opportunities, which when I look back, those rebuild opportunities, I, I think, are even you know more exciting from a business standpoint than when you're at the 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 the, the top of the pinnacle. So uh, I, I think we we took advantage of the opportunity when when it happened to us in 2018, and you know I think our business has continued to thrive since then. So we've been very fortunate. We'll be back for the second half right after this. Hi, this is Bill Gertine. I've been training the ticket sales departments of sports and entertainment for almost 20 years, and I love what I do. But everywhere I went, the story was always the same. We loved what you did. You got us fired up. But after a while, we kind of lost the spark and we went back to the same old, same old. Well, not anymore. ISBI 360 is the first and only digital training network created exclusively for the specific long-term career needs of sports and entertainment professionals. Our seven different unique certification programs include the fundamentals of success in the industry, like ticket sales, sponsorships, social media, customer service, and leadership, all trained by industry experts like Brett Zelaski, Debbie Nolan, Misha Scher, and Seth Rabinowitz. ISBI 360 uses a unique four-stage learning process, including cutting-edge micro-learning videos, live recorded role plays, live coaching from industry experts, and an ongoing reinforcement program to make sure the learning sticks and forms the habits that your people need to grow and excel faster. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Check out what's different about ISBI 360 today. Let's talk about the NBA side because you are in a yeah. little bit of a rebuilding mode there. You made a major trade here just a few weeks ago. You sent John Wall, your marquee guy that you drafted and had his whole career, sent him off to Houston for Russell Westbrook. How does a trade like that affect your staff in the sales and the service side? And how do you prepare for a move like that internally? You know, uh, it's a really, really good question. And, and I, I think if it was just a, a normal trade, it, it might be different. Uh, you know, John was really an icon in our community. I, he was really uh, very community driven. He did so much, uh, you know, in, in a variety of different neighborhoods in, in our community that he really had just a, a great, uh, I, I think, overall you know, reputation. And, and John was with us for so long, kind of grew with us for, for almost 10 years. So, I mean, you know, that getting over the, the John uh, leaving and not being a part was, I think, the first stage of it. And then, 
you know, realizing when we, we were able to secure a player like Russell Westbrook, who is uh, basically an NBA superstar, you know, it created a new platform for us. So I, I think, you know, we've just seen some amazing growth in a short period of time on our, our social and digital numbers. I think from the conversations we're having with our customers and fans, there's been a really positive, uh, you know, feedback that we've gotten. We've gotten some really great feedback for us you know, on, on our partner side too, a, a lot of excitement and energy. So, you know, this is an interesting time frame because, you know, you really didn't have a traditional off season, you know, training camps starting so quickly. We don't have fans in the building. So to say today, you know, the impact and, and how big it is, you know, it, it's still probably unknown for us, you know, but I, I think uh, we're excited about the opportunity with Russell and we think he's going to fit really well into our team dynamic and, you know, we've got a really great foundation and I think he's going to be someone that really, you know, sets a tone for our team as we move forward into the new season. Well, Russell joins your impact player that you drafted last year, Rui Hachimura out of, I'm not saying that wrong, Rui Hachimura. I have to say right. that. Rui right. Hachimura. Yep. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Out of Gonzaga. I, I knew how to say it and my mouth wasn't working yeah. quite right, but it was your first Japanese player. Certainly, you'd had experience with foreign-born players, because certainly uh, you've had one or two of those over on the hockey side. But what yeah. kind of response did you see in ticket sales from the fans from that selection? So Rui was uh, amazing. So we drafted Rui, and the very next day, we, we uh, were a little overwhelmed. We had about 100 Japanese media members. They actually came down to Washington, D.C. from New York, you know, where the, uh, the, the, the draft was for his first ever press conference and really quickly right then and there, we realized that, you know, this is a huge opportunity within the, you know, the first ever first round pick from, from Japan, you know, it was a, a really, uh, you know, unique opportunity from that end. So we really decided uh, at that point in time that we were going to create an entire Japanese language content platform around, you know, Rui's experience here in DC. So we launched a Japanese Twitter account, a Japanese Instagram account. Uh, we decided to, uh, uh, hire someone that, that was a, a Japanese language correspondent to do, you know, game reports and everything from that standpoint and, and really do some really unique content opportunities. And we did a Japanese language website. So that was all before the season began. And then once the season occurred, we were like overwhelmed because, I mean, just the amount of Japanese Americans, Japanese tourists that were coming in to see him play uh, live and in person was, was fantastic. And you know, last season, he was our, our, our top selling uh, jersey that we had at our team store. And, you know, the uniqueness on the ticketing side was, you know, all those people that were probably first time visitors to Capital One Arena, when they were coming in to see the team play and, and get to experience Rui live and in person, they were buying really our, our best and premium seats that we had available. So it was a really, really unique revenue opportunity. Uh, you know, that process is continuing because, you know, a, a couple weeks back, we uh, drafted from Israel. Denny Abida, and, and we're seeing some huge impact on, on, on Denny coming on to the uh, the team also and really getting a lot of interest from Israel. It's funny, over the last couple of weeks, uh, I've done about a dozen or so uh, calls to businesses over in Israel that we're trying to, you know, finalize some partnerships with. And I, I was told uh, every, uh, when, when a, uh, a young person uh, has their bar mitzvah experience, they, they normally have go on this really great trip. And what's traditionally happened is a lot of you know, young, young, young people have gone to uh, FC Barcelona and see Messi play. And I've been told very clearly on four different occasions that the new destination spot is coming to see Denny play in Washington, D.C. So I think hopefully, you know, we'll have a, a big influx of, uh, you know, 
uh, Jewish Americans or is Israeli tourists coming in to see Denny play in the future. So the NBA is really a, a big global game, as is the NHL. And I think uh, the league has really done a, a great job of allowing teams to to create more personalized relationships. And, you know, the most important thing for us is that when people from Israel or Japan come into Capital One Arena, I want them to feel like they're right in the middle of Tel Aviv or, or Tokyo. And I want them to feel comfortable in that process. And, you know, we call, uh, you know, this global local for us, you know, and the fact that we have global fans that are coming into the local level and we want them to feel like they're, they're huge fans of the Wizards. So I, I think it, it's created a, a really unique platform for us. Two great stories. What a cool yeah. thing to have happening. So Monumental is known for its forward thinking overall. You have Ted Leonzis as CEO. Uh, his son, Zach, who is SVP of Strategic Initiatives, has really done a terrific job in bringing Monumental into several new arenas. You've already got two esports entities. You've got them in basketball and hockey. What are you talking about getting involved with now that you never thought you'd be discussing just a few years ago? We have certainly been, been early adopters. I mean, D2C is what we think is the wave of the future with everything that we do. And uh, we were all early adopters in OTT. I mean, we started our first regional sports network. We broadcast about 500 live sporting events on an annual basis. You know, we we're early investors in, in esports and uh, have absolutely loved our investment with Axiomatic and, and Team Liquid. Uh, we think that's a really big connective opportunity. It's a global platform and global opportunity. But, you know, for us, the other piece is, you know, content is absolutely everything that we're about. And, you know, we uh, developed a, a productions organization internally called Monumental Productions uh, a long time ago, probably about three or four years ago. And I think that's really uh, a huge opportunity. I mean, we certainly had the live content piece of the games, which is two hours long, but, you know, all the off the court and off the ice uh, content that we can create allows us to build better relationships with consumers. Uh, and that can be either local or that could be global uh, from that perspective. And, and, and fans love their athletes and want to know what their experience is like or could be on the road or even in the local marketplace. So, you know, content for me is a really, really big driver uh, of everything that we do. Sports betting, I, I think, is certainly something that, you know, all of us in the industry are, are trying to put our arms around. And, you know, we see that as a huge opportunity. And uh, I, I think that's also going to be a big focus. So uh, the one thing about the Leonces family and, and working for them, uh, they are, you can't describe, they are almost uh, entrepreneurial addicts and they love to try new things and they love to really think outside of the box. And, you know, if, if you thrive in that type of environment, I mean, it's just a, a wonderful experience to go through. And, you know, we try to uh, really run our business. Like let's, let's not be afraid to fail. Let, let's prepare for opportunities and let's give it a shot. And, you know, I, that's why I think we've been early adopters in, in a variety of those different, you know, areas. But I think the other piece though, is, you know, one of the things that we're really focused on is, is certainly being entrepreneurial and trying new things and being tech focused and forward thinking and DTC, but also uh, it's really important that we represent this community in the greater Washington region uh, and community is also a big part of, of what we're trying to do, you know, in a couple of different areas. I mean, we were, uh, you know, one of the early uh, movers in, in Ward 7 and 8 in terms of moving the Wizards training facility and practice facility over to that area of the marketplace uh, and, and really help the city, you know, kind of re revitalize that community and stuff like that. So I think the community piece of everything we do is equally as important, you know, as it is to be, you know, I think first takers in a lot of different you know, new entrepreneurial opportunities. 
really exciting to work for someone who has that forward thinking and allows people to fail. I think in that case, you have that opportunity. What do you think is being or not being discussed right now that you think will become more important sooner or later? Than it, do you think there's a topic or a subject that you think is, is just kind of flying under the radar that you think will be more important here in the near future? Well, you know, uh, I, I will say, you know, what you do, I, I think, is going to be critical. I, I think coming out of this pandemic, you know, having really uh, effective uh, sales plans and, and business plans to, to revitalize the business, I think is going to be critical and important. So I think one of the things that is absolutely a must moving forward is continued employee uh, development and employee promotion and employee training. So I, I think that is really going to be a big critical thing moving forward. I mean, there's always going to be exciting movement and technology and, you know, other, other things that are there. But at the end of the day, what makes these businesses really, really strong is the people that are part of your team and having them as prepared as they possibly can, I, I think is going to be something that's equally as critical. And, you know, I, I know we say sometimes it's really great with, you know, being as equipped as we can from a technology standpoint, but I do think this is a people business too. And I think relationships certainly matter. And I think, you know, us continuing to improve our employees and their skill sets and, you know, their abilities is going to be important. So I, I think coming out of this, we're going to have to invest in our employees as equally as we invest in, you know, other new mediums within the business and industry. Certainly social injustice has been a big topic, especially in the DC area, uh, diversity and inclusion, a similar topic, not the same, very different, but both very volatile topics. Has it been harder in DC to rectify or to make good on the kinds of things that people feel as though they've, they've been remiss on in the past. And, and how has Monumental addressed those two concerns? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. And uh, I, I, I think uh, we, we need to be open from a, from a business standpoint. And I, I think when you have a variety of different views from people that come from a variety of different backgrounds and experiences, it makes for better, better decision-making. So I think some of the things that we've experienced, whether it's on, on the social justice piece or the diversity inclusion piece, is really important to make our, our businesses better. Uh, and we need to get different viewpoints. We need to get different experiences. We need to create more opportunities for people. And, you know, I, I think, you know, when you go through some challenging situations, like what happened earlier in the summer, you know, with, with George Floyd in, in Minnesota, you know, we have to, we have to have a wake up call. And I, th I think that was our wake up call. And one of the things I've been most proud of, you know, is how our organization has come together from the team operation side to the business operation side, and really has been uh, a great partnership in working together. We have a huge platform to get the message out there and, and, and be open. And uh, I, I think really create a different and new dynamic as we move forward. And, you know, when you're in the nation's capital and, and, you know, I, I think I'm happy to say, I think the, the capital of the world in, in Washington, DC, you know, people are looking at us to be, you know, uh, really icons in, in those focuses and areas and stuff like that. And, you know, I think as we move forward and especially, you know, into in the January and beyond, that is really going to be an opportunity where we can transform and, you know, also having big platforms and, and messages with the NBA and NHL, you know, certainly add to that piece. So, uh, you know, I think this was a long time coming and I, I think it's really uh, allowed organizations to uh, open up and look at themselves a little bit more in the mirror and, and you know, realize that we need to reflect what is out in our community uh, at a much deeper and, and, and more beneficial way. And I, I think we're all focused on that and, and trying to do better. Very good.
Well, I have the, this is the last part of our interview, Jim. This is the rapid fire question segment. So okay. this is the <laughs> fill in the blanks. Just the first thing that comes to your mind as we ask these questions. Favorite gin I, watch during well, the just one, one, one question or one? No, no, no. There's or... one after the other. It's like right, multiple. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I got it, bud. Favorite binge watch during the pandemic? Uh, Shit's Creek. Besides sports, the one thing you've missed most during COVID? Uh, our arena food, I think. The board game you never thought you would pull out of the closet again that you played in 2020? Uh, I did play Monopoly again, and I haven't played it in years. So I had a good uh, – unfortunately, I didn't do well. My kids really, uh, you know, dominated the games that I played, though. Favorite musical artist on your workout mix? Uh, I am a Bruce Springsteen guy, uh, the boss, and, you know, born to run in that process. Favorite sports team that you have not worked for? The Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, when it comes to the NFL, I bleed green on that end. <laughs> the sit-down restaurant you have taken out from most often in 2020. Oh, goodness. I We have probably spent more money on Uber Eats and DoorDash than I ever imagined, Bill. Uh, I, I would say there's a, a really great farm-to-fork restaurant in the D.C. community called Founding Farmers, and, and we probably indulged in that probably uh, a little too much during the pandemic. Favorite comedian or comedian? Uh, you know, I'm probably a little bit more old school. I, I think Richard Pryor is, is still the greatest comedian of all time. And every time I watch one of his movies on TV, you know, whether it's on uh, Stars or one of those channels, I, I just laugh the entire time. Favorite thing about the D.C. area? The people. It's so international. There's people from all over the world. Uh, it is truly, I think, a melting pot. And uh, I, I think it's just absolutely fantastic. The biggest hurdle you have to overcome in the next six months? Uh, wow, that that's a really tough question in, in a lot of different areas I, I could go. I think getting our employees back to, to the arena and, and working and, you know, getting fans back in the building is going to be the biggest hurdle that we're, and we're prepared for it, but I think it's going to be, you know, a challenging process for all. Last one, one bold prediction that you would have for sports and entertainment going forward. Wow. One bold experience. Well, one you know prediction. You, if, you're, if you're Karnak now from the Johnny Carson days. See, I, I, I have to go a little bit more personal on that. And I am looking forward to the year that the Mystics, the Capitals, the Wizards, Wizards District Gaming all win a title in one year. So that's my prediction for the future. I hope it's a hometown feel for, you know, the greater Washington region of Washington, D.C. But, uh, you know, I will say in, in predictions in, in this business, I mean, you know, it's really what makes it fun in terms of, you know, these sports seasons and, and what we represent and, and our buildings. And, you know, there's people all over our regions that are coming down to our arenas to have a great time and, and to get away from their day to day. And, you know, my prediction is that uh, the events business is going to be alive and, and well, you know, as we get through this pandemic and, and, and get hopefully this vaccine in front of us. Well, here's to an awesome future for all of us, and we so appreciate you taking the time. Jim Van Stone, President of Business Operations and Chief Commercial Officer for Monumental Sports and Entertainment. Jim, thank you so much for taking time here on The Crowdmakers. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate it, and I uh, look forward to seeing you soon. If you enjoyed the program, please like us, share us with those you know, and hit subscribe on the podcast, and we'll let you know when another new episode is dropped. Your positive comments will help keep The Crowdmakers on the air. We'd be grateful for your five-star review. Got someone you'd like to hear as a guest on the Crowdmakers? Let us know, and we'll do our best to reach out to them. Drop us a note at info at isbi360.com. That's info at isbi360.com.
Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the first and only digital training network for sports and entertainment professionals. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Our chief engineer of the Crowdmakers is Ken Marinelli. Sean Quinn is our director of operations. Mark Yazowitz is the digital platform guru. And the executive producer of the Crowdmakers is Doug Quinn. I'm Bill Gertine. Until next time, thanks for listening and so long for now. This is the Crowdmakers on the C-Suite Radio Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.